Now on Netflix, inspired by the unbelievable true story of a fake hitman, comes the new movie, Hitman, from Academy Award nominee Richard Linklater. At 96% certified fresh on Rotten Tomatoes, critics are calling Hitman a smart, sexy crime thriller with surprises at every turn. Starring Glenn Powell and Adria Arjona, Hitman. Now playing on Netflix and its select theaters. Rated R. With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. This content is brought to you by unfound supporters at Patreon, PayPal, and YouTube. Unfound is a podcast that has now covered over 300 disappearances over the course of 365 episodes. It has an interview-based format and concentrates on the facts, not the theories. Today, and for the 15th time, I will take you back to the beginning, then right up to the present, as I cover news over the past four months pertaining to many of Unfound's cases. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. If you are new to Unfound, these update episodes are done on the last Friday of April, August, and December. And this has been going on since 2018, after a suggestion from my assistant, Cherie. Hey, Cherie. Thanks. My impression is that Unfound is the only true show production of any type that does this, at least regularly and in-depth. Why is that? I don't know. Because I know these episodes are very popular. It's obvious all of you want to know if there have been any changes and any of the disappearances Unfound has covered. And from my own personal view, these update episodes are a great way to show all of the guests that their missing loved ones are never forgotten here. So let's get started. Well, uh... One more thing. Unfound News. A new found episode for Patreon and YouTube supporters will be coming out this weekend. I will be covering the disappearance to discovery of the killer, Kimberly Kessler. I will also be detailing the two, yes, two interactions I've had with her mother. Next, a week from now, Although I have a hard time believing it, Unfound will be celebrating its 7th anniversary. That's 303 disappearances across about 370 episodes. Crazy, I tell you, crazy. Finally, coming up on September 14th, 
I'll be making another appearance at Nova Southeastern University for a speaking engagement followed up by a live show in person with your favorite ex-NYPD officer and mine, Dr. Telesco. Okay, if you are new to Unfound, or even if you've been listening to Unfound since 2016, I'm going to remind uh, all of you how I do this. The process is this. Uh, At some point, uh, I start going through all of Unfound's disappearances as best I can. And of course, now that there are over 300 of them, it takes a little more time than it used to. But I go through, and my standard is that any updates that make the news. Now, there probably are exceptions to that, given that I do talk to a lot of uh, the guests who have been on Unfound. But for the most part, it's news that has happened on disappearances that Unfound has covered. And as it says, as I stated earlier... Uh, at the beginning of this episode, this is news over the past four months. These are things that have happened over the past four months. So, for example, back in April, at the end of April, when I did that update episode, that was for January, February, March, and April of 2023. So for this episode, it's for anything that has happened in May, June, July, and August of 2023. So you're not going to hear about any updates of disappearances of the updates that happened like a few years ago. These are all recent updates. And so what I do is I try to get a handle on what's going on with all of these disappearances out there. And then I put them in a list. And at least for this one, I'm going to be reading probably more news stories than I usually do. One of the reasons is because we don't have as many updates as I think we had 30 updates back at the end of April. I think with this one, we have like 21 or something like that. So we have fewer. So I think I'm going to spend a little more time on each of these updates. So I did copy some stories that were written about these particular disappearances. I'm going to read them to you. I'm going to analyze uh, them as well as I go through all of this. I don't use a script, as you can tell. Uh, I do have in front of me on my screen the news articles that I'm going to read. But when it comes to my analysis, my thoughts, my opinions, and everything else, I just jot, jot down a few notes, and then everything is off the top of my head. So please excuse any yum, ums, you knows, pregnant pauses, things like that. Because if I were to type this all out, it would take hours and hours and hours. So please keep that in mind. And also, this is not only updates for the regular unfound episodes that come out every Friday. These will be for updates of the unfound now episodes as well and i've done like 36 of them this is a a monthly series that plays on youtube so it's just not the friday the 305 disappearances or whatever it is now that we've covered on unfound the friday podcast but in addition to that are these disappearances uh that i cover on unfound which are when I cover them, are very recent disappearances. So just so we're all clear on that. 
So let's get started. First disappearance, Jesse Foster. And in each, uh, the beginning of each one of these, I'm going to read the intro uh, that played at the beginning of each of these episodes. You know how Friend and Found, it's a little unique compared to every other podcast out there. We don't start with music on Unfound. We start with me talking, which is the intro, and then the music plays. So for each of these, I'm going to read that little part before the Unfound theme music plays. Jessica Edith Louise Foster, Jesse to those who loved her most, was a 21-year-old from Kamloops, Kamloops, British Columbia, living the good life in Las Vegas. On the evening of March 28th, 2006, Jesse talked to her sister in Canada who was planning to come visit Jesse in a few weeks. After that conversation, Jesse was never seen again. And uh, we've probably talked about Jesse before and on other update episodes. I really can't remember. But the reason we're talking about her now in this update uh, at the end of August of 2023 is because of this guy, the serial killer from New York, uh, Long Island, the Gilgo Beach killer, as he is now known, Rex Huerman, H-E-U-E-R-M-A-N-N. They finally... Uh, caught him. I realize he's innocent until proven guilty, but you know what I mean. Well, it's been discovered that Rex, uh, at some point, or maybe still does, have a timeshare in Las Vegas. And so suddenly people start, start thinking, could he be, con- be connected to some of the disappearances that have happened in Las Vegas of prostitutes, of which Jesse was one of those? So I'm going to read this article Uh, Like I said, that was written within the last couple months. When cops nabbed suspected Gilgo Beach serial killer Rex Huerman, it set off alarm bells in cold case units across the United States. This is standard operating procedure. What the detectives are hoping for, and it is often beyond hope, are similarities between their murders and the big fish that has just been reeled in. Huerman, 59 years old, uh, is a New York architect, has been arrested and charged with first-degree murder in a series of slayings of sex workers on Long Island whose remains were found in a killing field near Gilgo Beach. Already the father of two is being eyed in a quartet of prostitute murders in Atlantic City. Now, homicide detectives in Las Vegas are taking a look at him in a series of unsolved sex worker murders in Sin City, and you should know this all happened while I lived in Las Vegas. I remember many articles. I remember there being a, uh, I think there was a cover of the Las Vegas Weekly about all of this, and little did I know, so many years later, I'd be doing a disappearance podcast. It's weird how life happens. One of the suspected victims is a Canadian woman named Jessie Foster, who vanished in Las Vegas in March 2006. Herman owned timeshares in the gambling mecca. What I miss the most about Jessie is the sense of humor, her sense of humor. Her mother, Glendine Grant, told KTNV, of course, Glendine was the guest way back in 2016. She loved to dance, joke around, play pranks. I didn't get to see a 30, 40-year-old Jessie. I don't know what kind of woman she would have been. The last time she spoke with her daughter was on March 24th, 2006. Her mother said the 21-year-old Kamloops, British Columbia woman disappeared after a herring ordeal of being sex trafficked in New York and New Jersey, then finally to Las Vegas. She had been arrested several times for prostitution in the desert boomtown, 
We know that Jesse had been beaten, that Jesse was being forced into it, Grant said. The arrest of Horman was now give, has now given Grant new hope with cops in three states hunting for anything that might tie the alleged Long Island killer to those cold cases. I just hope they get all the evidence they need and put him where he belongs, Grant said. Foster was one of five escorts working in Las Vegas who were the, either found, murdered, or had disappeared. They were between the ages of 18 and 25 and either died or disappeared between 2003 and 2006 under suspicious circumstances. According to KTNV, four of the victims were dumped off um, on remote desert roadways. Several were wrapped in cloth, a sign they may have been dispatched by the same homicidal maniac. Now, cold case detectives are asking themselves, could that maniac be the Gilgo killer? Vegas Property Records revealed that Hoorman has owned two timeshares in the city since at least 2004. While serial killers are often territorial and kill closer to home, it's wrong to believe they put their bloodlust on the shelf when traveling. This remains a focus of John Wayne Gacy investigators, even though he was executed in May 1994. According to KTNV, reporters compared autopsy reports of the Vegas victims to the Gilgo Beach victims. One of the women murdered in Nevada was Victoria Camara, who was strangled to death just like the Gilgo Beach Four. Lindsay Marie Harris went missing from Henderson, Nevada in 2005. And I lived right on the edge of Henderson at the time. Harris's legs had been severed. The circumstances were similar to Fire Island Jane Doe number seven, who was identified two weeks ago as Karen Vergata. Her dismembered remains were discovered about halfway between Nevada and New York and Springfield, Illinois. KTNV, uh, KNTV reported that Springfield was mentioned on page 17 of the suspected Long Island killer's bail application. He allegedly set up a Tinder account using the handled Springfield Man. In Vegas, cops have also reopened the case of a fourth victim in that jurisdiction for possible links to the New York investigation. Young escort Jody Marie Brewer was found murdered and dismembered in 2003. Investigators are testing DNA for possible links to Hoorman. Grant sees similarities between her daughter, Harris, and the escort slain on Long Island. I think she looks quite a lot like Megan Waterman, Grant said, the beautiful blonde hair. So far, Human stands uh, accused of the murders of three women, Melissa Bartholomew, Amber Costello, and Megan Waterman. He is suspected of many more. For her part, Grant has become an advocate for women ensnared into the sordid and violent world of sex trafficking. In 2014, Grant helped get Jesse's Law passed, which made it illegal to purchase or advertise sexual services and illegal to live on the material benefits from sex work in Canada. Jesse's story has touched so many people, she said in 2022. She has already changed the world for the better. I am grateful for the support of my family and community. If you have any information on the Las Vegas murders or what happened to Jesse Foster, contact Metro Police Cold Case Unit at 702-828-8973. In addition, Suffolk County Crime Stoppers in New York is offering a $25,000 reward for information on the murders of, in New York at one 800 220 so what do I think of this? As I have right here on my screen, uh, a thought is Las Vegas doesn't have enough killers on its own. You just have to remember something. Women get killed 
in just doesn't matter if they're prostitutes or any other legal or illegal profession, whatever their status may be, most of them get killed the same way. Strangling is very, very common. And it's because it's usually done by men. Men overpower women. And, and as we've learned on Unfound, that strangling is not going to leave a lot of DNA evidence behind. And even if the remains are found very quickly afterwards, it may be difficult. I know there's a bone in the neck that gets broken often when people are strangled and everything. But – so we can't look at this and say, well, these women in New York were killed this particular way. Well, you know what? These women who were in Las Vegas, they were killed in a similar way, so there's a connection. That's just not how it works. It's just not. So um, – I'm just hugely, hugely doubtful of this. I, I certainly can understand they're going to look into it. I think it's good that Jesse's name is getting out there again. But I think as we've established on Unfound, uh, she was just getting beat up. She had her jaw broken just by the men that she was around in the house where she was living in North Las Vegas at the time. And that had nothing to do with any of the sex work that she was doing in that city. She was already around violent people. Forget about the men that she met. So I think that's uh, my thinking on this. Also, uh, regarding whether Rex uh, did this, did he really drive out to Las Vegas? He has a timeshare there. And so he drove to Las Vegas by himself and then killed one of these women, as was mentioned in this article, and then killed her and then put her legs on the on the, the edge of a highway on his way back to New York. It seems unlikely, in my opinion. Um, we also have to remember this uh, about and, – and this is not to paint them in, in a better light, but this is just statistics. We have to remember for all of these serial killers, whether it's Rex Tuerman or Dennis Rader or John Wayne Gacy or um, Gary Ridgway, the Green River Killer, or even the original Night Stalker, on and on and on. Most of these people that these guys were around, they didn't kill. You have to remember that. So this is also something that, that's in my mind. Uh, this seems like uh, a theory looking for facts to me at this point. And, of course, Jesse is still missing. Maybe. you know, may, Maybe it very well may be that now that they do have the legs of the, this, at least this one woman who was in Las Vegas and they found her on that highway headed to, toward New York, I guess – uh, maybe there'll be some sort of forensics they can do to compare to Rex. I suppose that's going to get done. It may take some time. But I don't want all of you to forget that Jesse was in a bad situation outside of any serial killer that could have been in Las Vegas at that time. Surely. And I, I think that we've established, we established back then when the episode came out, that I don't think it's a coincidence that she went missing right before her sister was due to go down to Las Vegas and see her. 
um, because the my idea is that had the sister gone down there, probably the sister would have figured out that, you know what, something's not right here. Something is just not right. And my thought is that uh, Jesse, the men who were controlling her, uh, couldn't deal with that. And that's still my thinking on this. And dare I say, it very well could have been had the sister gone down there and encountered what Jesse was really going through, maybe both of them might have gone missing. So I just have have doubts about all of this. However, on the other hand, I'll continue to keep an open mind on it. And I will uh, be looking for any real facts to put it all together. This kind of just feels like a kind of... um, story that was written for clicks, but like I said, uh, I'm happy that Jesse's name is getting out there. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Next disappearance or disappearances, Peggy and Patty McDaniel. Peggy and Patty McDaniel were 17-year-olds from New Jersey staying with their father in Live Oak, Florida. Unbeknownst to their parents, in mid-August of 1979, they took a trip to the Fort Lauderdale area. And a month later, on September 15th, the sisters were supposed to go to a club in Pompano Beach with a man they met. A few days later, this man was found shot dead. The girls were never seen again. Uh, many of you know, follow Unfound uh, for a long time. You know that I've been come very, very close with Peggy and Patty's mother, Joyce Rivetuzzo. She's one of my favorite, favorite people. And in fact, uh, I'm recording uh, at least this part uh, part of this episode on August 22nd of 2023. And I just spoke to Joyce like four days ago or something like that. And so why are they in here? Well, um, there was a thing that happened. And bizarrely, this happened not far from where I live in Clearwater Beach, but at the time, I was up in Pennsylvania for those two weeks uh, seeing my dad from July 19th to August 2nd. It's weird how that worked. But there was a car that was found. And so I'm going to read. This is not actually an article. This is actually on the, this diving site. Uh, these guys, they're called Sunshine. Sh- Sunshine State Sonar, and I don't know how long they've been around, but they've been going around Florida diving for cars and like chaos divers, adventures with purpose, all of that. Once again, these, the, all these groups are popping up. I have a little bit to say about that in a, in a bit. But So here's what went on, and you should know, though, that this has been edited since it was first posted on July 22nd. Submerged vehicle. Now, what they were doing is they were here in in Pinellas County, and they were trying to figure out what happened to a woman. Her name is Brenda Starr. She and her um, car are still missing from back in the 1990s. So this is where this is where this post comes from. 
submerged vehicle located last night searching for Brenda Starr. Vehicle was located in the canal just 500 yards from her apartment. While searching for Brenda Starr and her missing 1993 Mazda protege last night, we got a hit on sonar at 15 feet deep in the Tarpon Tarpon Canal. I know this canal very well. Uh, it runs right by uh, a disc golf course. Uh, in fact, one of the tees is right next to the canal. I mean, these guys probably – that course is only a quarter mile from where these guys were diving. Ken from Recon Dive Recovery dove on the vehicle and was dealt with zero visibility. This verification had to be done by feel. Another incredible job. With parts removed from the vehicle, we were quickly able to determine this vehicle is an early 1970s Chevy Vega. It was impossible to determine if there were any re- human remains in this vehicle. The Pinellas County Sheriff's Office was notified. Uh, they, uh, the dive team, their dive team will dive on the vehicle and assess the situation. They will attempt to recover it this week. Considering the condition of the vehicle, this is going to be an extremely difficult task. We will update when new information becomes available. Well... What they took out of that post was that probably due to me saying some things and probably from Joyce and some other people who know Peggy and Patty's disappearances very well, is that in this post they had written that um, as it is, uh, two girls went missing in Florida and they were seen last seen getting into a Chevy Vega. That's what was taken out of this. And just so you know what happened, they posted this on their Facebook page. They never called Joyce. You know, I don't think they even know her. But they did this, and this started a whole big hubbub of everything. And Joyce started getting messages, and she has had a a woman who's been helping her uh, from back when Unfound first covered their disappearances, helping her uh, in in many different ways, uh, getting keeping Petty and Patty's names out there. And uh, it really caused a lot of drama. And... I will remind you once again, I think that they've taken this part about Peggy and Patty McDaniel out of it because in retrospect, they saw all the problems that it caused. Well, it, it did because it sent a lot of people into a tizzy. And uh, Joyce ended up con- contacting me. I really didn't know what was going on at all. So I had to quickly catch myself up on this and here they're diving just maybe – 25 minutes, 20, 25 minutes from where I live. And uh, it was not good. A lot of drama, a lot of um, emotions and everything. And this is, this is why I have a problem with what these people are doing. I, I don't, you know, I'm not against them. Obviously, they've, they've, these diving teams have solved a lot of disappearances. They have. The problem is that you start wondering this stuff is maybe – is it more problems than it's worth? Uh, you start to think like that because they don't know Joyce and they're putting it out there. Well, this could be connected to this disappearance. Now, keep in mind some things. The news about Peggy and Patty getting into a Vega came from the number one suspect in their disappearances, Ed Gross. 
So there's no reason to believe they got into a car with anyone, anybody ever, you know, that, that had anything to do with their disappearances, first of all. Second of all, they were last seen like five hours from here, down in Pompano Beach, which is near Miami, where I live, where this car was found, is up here on the Gulf Coast, halfway up the Gulf Coast in the general Tampa area, nowhere near where Peggy and Patty were last seen. Not to mention, uh, eventually, when they did, they didn't even take the time to look at the color of the car. I think in the news story, it was like a white Vega. This car wasn't even white. But here, they're already putting it out there that this could be connected to Peggy and Patty's disappearance just because they have a Chevy Vega. Now, if you really want to know, in the 1970s, Chevy Vegas were junk cars. Complete junk. But General Motors made over a million of them. So what are the odds that these guys diving in Pinellas County near Tampa would encounter the Vega that Peggy and Patty allegedly got in down in the Miami area? What, what are the odds of that? I mean, it's astronomical. It's like Powerball odds. Not necessarily, but you know what I mean. But still, they couldn't help themselves. And I, you know, I have to tell you, I have enough work to do with Unfounded Is. I don't like having to clean up other people's messes. Because what I had to do, you know, is talk to Joyce, look it over and say, Joyce, this just doesn't sound like anything to me. And of course, I ended up being right. I, I read it. I read what was posted. In about five minutes, I decided this is nothing. Now, do I want it to be something? Do I want it to be nothing? I really don't know. We know how these things can be very, very bitter, bittersweet. We know. When bodies are recovered, very bittersweet. Um, but it just was so obvious to me that very quickly, I knew this wasn't anything, but still they're putting this news out. These divers are putting this news out there. What I dislike about these people is not necessarily the work they're doing. I just think they like the cameras too much. They like microphones too much. They like media attention too much. They like posting to their Facebook pages too much. Whereas me, if I were to hear something about this, if somebody would send to me something like this, like very secretively, there's no way, no offense to all of you, but there's no way I would go public with that until I had more facts. There is no way I would do that. Okay, there was a car. You know, we have a disappearance. Let's say it has to do with um, Harry Milligan's disappearance in the car that he went, you know, way back in the 70s. If I were to get news that some car, the kind of car that he was driving, was found near where he went missing, I'm not going to go post it on, on Facebook. I'm going to talk to his brother who was the guest going to be very, very patient about it. Now, if it's a news story, I don't know what I can do about that. If somebody puts it out there wrongly without like these guys did. But if I were to personally, and it was all just very private, I just wouldn't do that. So I like the work that these people continue to do, but they have to stop being media hounds. And I think that they have to be more patient with it. 
And I also think they need to learn a lot more about disappearances in general. They certainly know a lot about scuba diving. Happy for them. But when it comes to disappearances, why they happen, why people go missing with their cars, what percentage of that is the overall disappearance you know, percentage pie, and it's like 3 or 4%. It's a very small percentage. In addition, they rarely show all of the times that they've failed, gone down into, into water and didn't find anything. They only show kind of their successes. It starts to mislead the public. And I don't like that either. So this all came out. Joyce is over it now, but it was very traumatic for, uh, for her. Um, granted, just like Jesse Foster's story, put Peggy and Patty's names back out there. I guess that's good, but it doesn't have to happen this way. I don't think it does. Um so this Vegas Vega ended up being nothing. And also, of course, it was not connected to Brenda Starr's disappearance either. So that's the update. Um, so really no necessarily any change in Peggy and Patty's disappearances. But they were in the news uh, within the last month, uh, dare I say, for all the wrong reasons. On that topic, though, it's not going to change much with this next disappearance. Nicholas Masucci. Nicholas James Masucci was a 60-year-old from Kearney, New Jersey. He was a businessman and a sharp dresser. On September 18, 1974, he had lunch with his daughter, then said he was driving to Brooklyn for business, but didn't say who he was meeting. A couple days later, his car was found in Manhattan. He was never seen again. Now, what is not included in that is that Nicholas Masucci had some mob connections. He's mentioned in some some FBI files. And being that I haven't listened to that episode for quite a while, I forget how much myself and his daughter Fran got into that. But this is another situation where divers and a YouTube channel – at least at this point, and you should know this information is very, very new. I'm recording this on August 22nd. This just happened within like the last week or something like that. That there's a guy, his name is Kevin Mayer, M A H E R. He is certainly a character. He says that he was an FBI informant. He has a book out, he has a YouTube channel. Well, He is saying that back in the day when he was working undercover or whatever, he had put a car into one of New York's rivers. I'm not sure if it was the East River or the Hudson River that had a body in it. Now, why he's just coming out with this now, I don't know. You can go to his YouTube channel and make an assessment for yourself. But there is a a YouTube channel, Diving Channel. Uh, called Exploring with Nug, N-U-G, is that what it is? And they've kind of hooked up together, and it's kind of be pushing this idea that they went out into the river, this river in New York City, they found a car, and there was a bone in it, and they gave it to police, and there's a video, once again, on this channel, this long video uh, where Kevin Mayer is trying to convince the police to go out there in the river. You know, there's a body out there. You need to go do this. And the police are, well, kind of um, 
blowing him off. And the reason I even know about any of this is because there was a listener uh, who told me about this. There seems to be something going on with Nicholas Masucci's disappearance. Now, you should know I'm not an expert on any necessarily any disappearance that Unfound is covered. After 300 of them, you can understand that. But my assistant, Eric, is because he has been uh, working with Fran uh, on this. And so I sent it to him for him to look it all over. And I'm not going to – he told me what he thinks about it. I'm not going to get into that now because it's off the record. But this is one that, once again, I have big-time doubts about all of this. That that this guy would think that all he has to do is show up and tell these officers that they don't need to go out in the water just because he says so. And, and then you can see he's doing all sorts of – causing all sorts of uh, drama – on this video uh, when the police you just won't do what he says. This I hate this kind of stuff. Uh, I, th- I continue to believe that if these people, anybody, were really serious about solving disappearances, about having – doing good work, they would put the cameras down. But they can't do that because why? They have a YouTube channel and they have to post videos. That's what the people want to see. But it does not help in the solution to disappearances. And it, it comes across as one big reality show. And dare I say, all of you are being manipulated. These people are, you have to remember this. Every time you watch one of these things, you have to ask yourself, do, we really, do you really think it's best that the camera was rolling when this happened? Or do you think that they would make more progress on any sort of crime, a disappearance, a murder, a suicide, anything, any sort of incident with the cameras rolling? Or would more get done if the cameras weren't rolling? I know how all of you love it. I know. But there's a bigger purpose here, right? So next time you watch one of these, you ask yourself, Is it okay? Is it ethical? Is it moral? It's certainly legal. But is it moral and ethical for these cameras to be rolling when this is happening? These things that are of such huge importance. Or is it better off to turn off the cameras, have real conversations with the police? Because cameras make lots of different types of people nervous. They don't know how it's going to get edited and recorded and everything else. Do you not want those police to just not necessarily worry about how it's going to be edited and how they're going to look on YouTube later? The problem is this is what these filmmakers want. They want the drama, and so that's why the cameras were rolling. So this is going on. I don't know where it's going. It seems like a big nothing burger to me. Uh, Once I think you see Kevin Mayer... Uh, you'll see what I'm um, talking about because he does have his own channel. So um, there's that. So that's the updates happening right now. And my guess is come December for the next update episode, probably there will be a follow-up to this. Oh, by, and by the way, I, I completely doubt that's – I can't for, 
by the way, I can't figure out why if somebody murdered Nicholas Masucci that they would put his body in another car and put him in the river. Why not just put his body in his own car and put it in the river? Would that not make more sense? Would that not be easier to do? You'd think. But of course, his car was found in Manhattan. Now I'm thinking about it. Maybe I should just say one more thing regarding how I handle this. Never do I just call somebody up and start recording what they're saying. Of course, in Florida, it's a two-party state that I have to ask permission to record phone calls. Now, of course, in other states, the laws are different. But even so, I don't just call somebody up. Even if I was in a state where it was a one-party state where I wouldn't have to let anybody know, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't just call somebody up and start recording. It seems underhanded trying to catch people saying things and and everything. I just – as a reporter, that's what I am, a reporter. It just doesn't seem very ethical. And so just to start, show up, and get the video rolling anywhere also to me without asking permission of the people who are there and and everything else – also seems shady to me, even though I know that it's legal. Next disappearance, Kristen Modafferi. Kristen Deborah Modafferi was an 18-year-old in Oakland, California. I think she was originally from North Carolina and was taking photography and dance lessons. On June 23rd, 1997, at 3 p.m., she left her coffeehouse job at the Crocker Galleria in San Francisco. Her co-workers thought she was headed to the beach. But 45 minutes later, Kristen was still in the mall. She was never seen again. And the story is here is that... I I don't know if I put this in the last update episode. I know I talked about it on the live show on YouTube, live show on YouTube that I do every Monday night. But there was a body found on the Berkeley campus in some abandoned building. Why there are abandoned buildings on the Berkeley campus in California to the point where bodies are being found, I don't know. But... Uh, UC Berkeley Police Department investigators announced that the human skeleton found in an unoccupied building near campus earlier this year has been identified and is suspected to be a victim of a homicide. Police say they are now seeking the public's help and providing information. According to a statement released by the department, DNA evidence indicates the remains are those of Stephen Lawrence McCreary, who was born October 8, 1972, based on the condition of the bones Analyzed by the Alameda County Coroner's Office, McCreary's death is a homicide. Forensics and other evidence indicate the death occurred many years ago. McCreary was known to be alive at least as recently as 2009 and would have been approximately 737 years old at the time. Officials say McCreary was not affiliated with UC Berkeley and was from Texas. He was known to travel around the country, sometimes on trains or by hitchhiking. They say he spent some time in the San Francisco Bay Area, but he not, did not have a known residence there. UCPD first learned of the skeletal remains in January 2023 and immediately responded to the scene at the time. In their statement, they said officers refrained from publicly disclosing details until now because the remains had to be identified, next of kin had to be notified, and the integrity of the investigation had to be protected. This is an ongoing investigation. Uh, UCPD is asking for the public's assistance to further its investigation into what happened to McCreary. Anyone who ever interacted with him for any reason is asked to 
contact UCPD Detective Sergeant John Karras at 510-642-0482. The reason this is included in Kristen Modafferi uh, disappearance is because uh, there was a thought out there that it could be her. Of course, we now know it wasn't even the correct gender, but that did kind of come up when these remains were found at the beginning of this year. So not Kristen Modafferi. Now, if you're wondering about this guy, this McCreary guy, not listed on NamUs, not listed on the Charlie Project. So that very well may be one of the reasons that he had been murdered. And as it says here, it seems like he'd been in this... um, building for a while. Now, I can't remember the circumstances of why his remains were originally found. How could remains be there for that long and not be seen? Of course, we're going to get that eventually to the Bowman uh, update. I don't know about all of that, but it was in some abandoned building, Berkeley campus, and this uh, guy is um, who it was, and they said that this guy was murdered, so maybe they can figure out now what happened, uh, but as soon as I started, I did go back and started looking at San Francisco disappearances. Nothing really rang a bell on NamUs, and now we know my, why, because he wasn't on NamUs and not on the Charlie Project. So Kristen Modafferi, her disappearance still continues to be one of, I think, one of the coldest cases that Unfound uh, uh, has covered. One of the coldest disappearances. It's very sad. Next update. I'm sure all of you saw this coming. Alyssa Turney. Alyssa Marie Turney was a 17-year-old from Phoenix, Arizona. She was the studious type, but also had rebellious tendencies. And she had a boyfriend. On May 17, 2001, she was taken out of school early by her stepfather. He took her to lunch, then home. Then he went out to run some errands. When he came back to the house, Alyssa was gone. She was never seen again. Of course, the update is that uh, Michael Turney finally did go to trial this summer, and he was acquitted. In fact, it was such a um, poor case that the prosecution brought that the prosecution presented its side, and as soon as they were done, the defense asked the judge, you know, it's clear to us that that the prosecution has not uh, proven its case. Uh, Can we just go right to the verdict? And the judge just acquitted Michael. So this isn't something where uh, the trial was suspended. Michael Turney cannot be tried again for Alyssa's disappearance. Many of you know, of course, we've been kind of waiting for this. This has been a long time coming. It seems like Michael Turney has been in custody since like 2019 or something like that. Of course, we know with COVID or whatever, but still, it's even with COVID, it seems like a long time, longer than it, than it should have taken, especially considering that the prosecution had all this time to put together this case, and then they get into court, and ba- basically, eventually, they got laughed out of it. It's It's very sad. I just... 
And I realize most people do believe that Michael caused Alyssa's disappearance. And I suppose you could even put me in that category as well. But it, from the t- first time that I heard that they were going to be charging him, I, this is this is dicey. There are certainly – this is one of the things that I'm still trying to understand about disappearances is how Michael Turney can be brought to trial. When – and even though I think our logic, our gut instinct tells us, yes, he caused Alyssa's disappearance, but we also realize that it's no proof of that and everything. But on the other hand, Angela Green's husband can be walking around a free man despite all of the crazy stories that he told. Unverifiable, completely unverifiable stories. Hard for me to understand. I'm guessing it's very hard for all of you to understand this as well. How can Michael Turney be brought to court but not some of these other guys who we we certainly believe there's stronger circumstantial evidence that these guys killed their wives or girlfriends? It's hard to understand. Now, I will tell you that a part of me, I'm not saying there's any proof of this, but I can't help but think that the prosecution might have felt pressured to bring this to court because of the podcast. This is, I'm not blaming anybody. But this is one, as I've talked about before, maybe not on an update episode, but maybe on the live show, and I've certainly written about it on my blog on on Patreon, is that there are ups and downs, pluses and negatives of disappearances being well-known. Of course, if it's well-known, get a lot of attention, I can just say I Brian Schaefer, and everybody knows what he looks like. Mara Murray, everybody knows what he, she looks like. Jennifer Cassie, everybody knows what she looks like. On and on and on and on and on. And that's positive. People can't forget these people. We hope that these disappearances will get solved. But on the downside, what are one of the problems? Kooks come out of the woodwork. All sorts of kooks online creating all sort of sto- sorts of stories. Uh, And one of those negatives, I believe, is that police do feel the pressure. They do know that a podcast is being done about a a particular disappearance or Dateline or or whatever else on, you know, over and over and over. Like at least some of these disappearances have been done over and over and over. Of course, the joke, you know, it's a darkly humorous, but it seems like the same 20 disappearances get covered over and over and over by all of these uh, TV shows, whereas here at Unfound, we're, we've done over 300 unique ones. Um, so I wonder if one of the downsides of Alyssa Turney's disappearance becoming so well-known is that the prosecution... You know, a lot of people were out there. Isn't it obvious that Michael Turney did this? Charge him. Isn't it obvious that he was a kook? Isn't it obvious that, you know, he wanted her to disappear because she had made uh, sexual abuse claims against him? On and on and on. And I, I can't help but think that 
that could be a reason that they jumped into this. On the other hand, we have Steve Pankey, who got charged with Janelle Matthews' murder, got convicted the second time around, and there's no evidence that he killed Janelle Matthews. There's no scientific evidence that he did that. So he gets convicted, uh, even though there's no proof that he even knew Janelle. On the other hand, Michael Turney gets let out of court before his own defense even gets to put on its case, even though... He and Alyssa lived under the same roof. There are reasons these things happen. And I think it does have to do with going to trial, at least with Michael Turney going, the prosecution going to trial too soon, if ever. And this is one of those things where families, easy for me to talk. But families have to get comfortable with the idea that it is better that a case never be brought to court than one that gets brought to court and then it all falls apart. Certainly. In fact, I just ran into this uh, just recently on an episode of Unfound, very, very recent episode. Uh, and we know even when you get to court and somebody gets convicted or takes a deal like Angie Yarnell's husband did, he's, he was in jail four or five years. Now he's out of free man. She's still missing. So sometimes when it comes to charging people, we just have to be very careful what we ask for because we might just get it. So very sad. Uh, and it will even be sadder if one of these days Alyssa's remains are found and it's proved that she was murdered and then whatever is found on her remains can be connected to Michael Turney. Then it'll even get sadder. So I, I feel horrible for Alyssa's family. Of course, her sister was the guest uh, way back. It must have been 2018. I feel for all of them. I just think that the prosecution went forward with this uh, walked, was trying to walk a very thin line and ended up falling off. So there you go. Next update, although it's not much of one. Jonathan Paul Estes was a 35-year-old father of two from Bogue Cheeto, Mississippi. He worked in construction and was active in his church. On June 2nd, 2018, Jonathan, Jonathan was at home and spoke to his best friend. Jonathan said he was going outside to see why the police were going up and down his road. He was never seen again. The update here is that his ex-wife still has not gone to trial regarding that piece of equipment she stole. I don't know uh, really what's going on there. I don't think Jonathan's family knows either. So if you're wondering about that trial, of course, we've talked about the Michael – attorney trial just a few moments ago. This is another one we're kind of waiting for, although it necessarily doesn't have anything to do with Jonathan's disappearance. But you'd think this would have happened by now, uh, but it hasn't. So there you go. That That's what's going on with this. Next update, uh, very similar to Jonathan Estes's, and that is Tyler North. Tyler North was a 27-year-old from Harlan County, Texas. He was – or Harlan County, Kentucky. He was the father of two and loved hunting and fishing. On the evening of Sunday, June 24th, 2018, Tyler left his sister's. He would let, was allegedly headed home. However, Tyler turned into a local park. Instead, he was never seen again. 
Uh, I've done some updates on this before. We now know that his ex-wife, her boyfriend, and another man have been charged with Tyler North's murder. And Tyler's remains have been found. But uh, a trial, I think, was supposed to, supposed to happen this summer. It did not. And some information I got today, this would be August 22nd, 2023, is that the earliest this trial is going to happen is in November. So it's one of those other ones. You'd think that given that the ex-wife and her boyfriend got charged two, two years ago, three years ago, something like that, even with COVID and everything, I mean, they managed to bring Steve Pankey to trial twice in Colorado. But they haven't been able to go to trial here yet in Kentucky. I, I don't understand it. So I guess maybe the next update episode at the end of December, uh, I may have something more for you. But nope, that trial hasn't happened yet. But it's supposed to happen before the end of the year. I, I, end of the year, but... Nobody should be holding their breaths. Next update, Jesse Ross. Jesse William Ross was a 19-year-old from Missouri. He was a DJ and was on the verge of starting a career in radio. In the early morning hours of November 21st, 2006, Jesse was in Chicago at a student seminar. During a break, he left the conference room. His friends thought he'd be right back. He was never seen again. The update here is that um, some of you know, I've talked about it, uh, talked about it during the live show, and really, um, I guess I'll get a little bit into this later when uh, the update for Steve Pankey uh, is done. But uh, while I was filming this TV show, uh, being interviewed for this show that's going to be out sometime next year. It's called Taking the Stand with Dan Abrams. Uh, they have people who have testified in trials, and they're going to be covering the trial of Steve Pankey for the murder of Janelle Matthews. And This was just a, a few weeks ago here in August that that happened. They asked me if I would give them the contact information for Jesse's family given that they, I guess somehow they looking through Unfound's catalog and found that I had interviewed, uh, I had done that interview uh, some years ago. What was that, 2019 maybe? And I got permission from Jesse's father. And so I guess we have to believe that at some point, maybe next year, they are going to be doing, there's going to be another show regarding Jesse's disappearance. Now, What's a little confusing to me is that, of course, there hasn't been any trial regarding Jesse's disappearance, so it's probably not going to be for the Taking the Stand show. I'm guessing that these people work on all sorts of different true crime shows and formats, different formats, uh, different storylines. So maybe you can be looking for that sometime next year. I have no idea if they've contacted Jesse's father yet. No idea what they have planned, but they simply asked me, could I pass along the contact information? And you should know, when I get a request like that, I don't just hand out the information. I always go back to the guest first and tell them what's going on. Hey, I was I did some filming for this TV show. Producer asked me 
if I could give them your contact information, I guess they want to talk to you about Jesse's disappearance. What do you want to do? Mr. Ross uh, said that that was okay to give out his contact information, so I did. This is how I handle things. I just it's, – it's amazing. It doesn't happen a lot, but it is amazing how many people have contacted me over the last seven years saying, hey, could you give me the phone number of your guest? Could you give me the email address of your guest? And I always have to tell the person, I don't give out contact information to strangers. You want me to pass along something, I will. You know, whatever you want, I'll pass it along to the guest and we'll talk about it. But I'm just not going to give you their contact information. I don't know who you are or, or anything. That it is amazing how much that happens. Moving on. Next update. Speaking of Steve Pankey. Janelle Matthews. Janelle Matthews was a 12-year-old from Greeley, Colorado. She was in the chorus and had an older sister. On December 20th, 1984, Janelle was dropped off at her house after a concert. There was no one home. When her father arrived an hour later, Janelle wasn't there. She was never seen again. Her remains were found in July 2019, 35 years after her disappearance. The update here is I have begun a correspondence with Steve Pankey. And in fact, uh, just yesterday, so that would be August 21st, 23, 2023, that um, I sent him my second letter. I sent him my first one like around July 18th, and then I got his response after I came back from Pennsylvania. And now I'm going to read his response to you. And he did give me permission in the letter to do this. Now, you should know I'm not going to go through what I wrote to him, but I asked him a lot of questions about his thoughts on, you know, analyzing various facts about the footprints and all this. And really in this response, he just ignored all of it. You should know that. It was like a two-page letter uh, that I typed out, single space. So I had a lot to say. Now you have to keep in mind, I really don't know if I'm talking to a guilty person or not. And I've expressed that at least... At the bare minimum, I do not believe the prosecution proved its case. I, I think the way you look at his uh, that trial is that a bunch of different people could have killed Janelle. Anyway, so in writing to Steve, it's how do you put that in the proper context? And yes, I really don't anticipate, even if he did do it, I don't anticipate him ever writing, yep, Ed, I did it. But it'll give me a chance to... Probe his mind and uh, see what he has to say. But like I said, in this first letter, he talked virtually past everything that I wrote. But I did send him a, another one yesterday uh, in response to this kind of going over uh, what he, he said here. So here it is. Ed, and, he, and by the way, I typed and printed out my letters to him. This is actually in his writing course. He's in his cell he doesn't have uh, probably access to a printer typing out in a printer. Ed, Steve Pankey's – this is – I'm just going to read it. Steve Pankey's 1984 Orwellian Nightmare. 
Number one, consider the Janelle Matthews case tragic but not criminal. Number two, my knowledge of any came after the fact, uh, assuming Janelle's death was death was accidental and her body hidden in the city of New Raymer. Now, this New Raymer thing is something new to me. And at least in the public, I think I know all of this as well as anybody. Uh, and I know that he did not mention New Raymer during my interview with him because I've listened to that interview so many times now. I've listened to that interview more than any other interview I've ever done for Unfound. So he's just pulling this name of the city, which I guess is near Greeley, out of somewhere. Number three, my attorney, Hong Pak's uh, deal, in quotes, would have made the 1984 Colorado issue a 2019 civil matter in the jurisdiction of Twin Falls County Court, Idaho. I reasonably assumed a statute of limitations for accidental death I wanted to protect pastoral privilege and give Janelle a Christian burial simultaneously. So once again, it seems he's still holding on to this idea that he was told by somebody uh, about this and that it was an accident. And uh, hey, I'm just reading what he wrote. Number four, the judicial system, ju- the judicial system to Steve Pankey. A name names or take the blame. B, justice for Janelle is arbitrary. And then he signed it, Steve Pankey, page one of two. Now on page two, he says, the district attorney is taking my house and bank account to pay for me being in prison. This limits my my, uh, appellate and third trial options. The prison medical refuses to address my age-related medical needs. I'm 72 because I was convicted of murdering a child. This will lead to my death. Ed, if you are really a victim's advocate, in quotations, do more podcasts, publicly share what I said in page one. In Christ care, Steve Pankey, and once again, he signed it. So it's right here in writing. This is not, he doesn't understand this to be a private conversation where I'm going to keep this all off the record. As it says right here in this letter, he wants me to read all of this. Um... Of course, that letter is on its way to Colorado right now, but I'm not going to read it, but I will paraphrase from it. Um, For number one, you know, considering Janelle Matthews' case was tragic but not criminal, um, I told him it certainly was tragic. (laughs) She was murdered, and it was certainly criminal is what what I wrote to him. He's He's a weird cat. And uh, number two, uh, my knowledge of any came after the fact, assuming uh, Janelle's death was accidental and her body hidden in the city of New Raymer. I asked him about New Raymer. Where, you know, where does that come from? It didn't come up in the trial. It didn't come up with my interview with him. Um, So I asked him, you know, where are you pulling this out of? Number three, uh, regarding, uh, you know, reasonably assume the statute of limitations and protect pastoral privilege. I have to admit, I really went after him on this. I said, Steve, you really aren't still trying to sell that, are you? That there was some sort of privilege. And I just simply asked him, if you have pastoral privilege, who gave it to you? What church? Where is the paperwork? Is the person who did this still alive so I can contact this person? I asked him a bunch of questions about about this. Of course, we know none of this flew in court. As I stated uh, on a recent Unfound Live when I first got this letter, 
that just because two Catholics have a conversation about their sins does not mean that that's confession and there's like privacy between the two of them. Or two, two Jews, two Buddhists, two Muslims, anybody else. Just because you're talking to somebody else of the same denomination or faith or whatever, belief system, doesn't mean there's some sort of privilege that, that everything gets to be, you know, be secret. But he's still trying to sell this idea, and I would admit that that he's still trying to do this makes it even more look like he's guilty. He's, he just had, it's like, a, what's interesting is Steve is a guy who, as all of you know, can surely talk a lot and tells a lot of stories, but he keeps, it's very strange that he keeps hitting the one note, same note over and over, over and over, over and over regarding this. It's very unlike him. Because he seems to, you know, flourish with all sorts of different stories. But on this, just will not deviate from that. Um, so I asked him, if you have pastoral privilege or whatever else, who gave it to you? What church is – and I even asked him, is this like one of those things like from like the 1970s and 80s where you could get through the mail, mail order, become, you know, some sort of priest – like for the Moonies or something. Um, and as I was writing that, I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about the, of course, the show Friends, where Joey, remember Joey had that, um, he was registered as a man of the cloth, and he could perform weddings, and of course he ended up performing the wedding, wedding for um, Phoebe and um, her fiancé, if you'll remember, from Friends. And I was thinking, is it something like that? I know that's outrageous, but I put that in the, I just asked him, is this some like mail order thing that you got into at some time? If he's going to say it, if Steve's going to say it, I'm going to ask him about it. We'll see in the, the second letter, if he chooses to respond, what he has to say. And yes, if I will tell you what all that he said, uh, moving on. Number four, the judicial system, judicial system to Steve Pankey, a name names or take the blame. Uh, and then B, justice for Janelle is arbitrary. I really – I have to admit I really went after him on these things too. I, I Once again, I can't help myself. I mean he must really think I'm stupid. But I'm going to continue to talk to him, ask him questions until he doesn't write back anymore because um, maybe one way or the other we can get to, bo- to the bottom of all this. We'll just have to see. But as far as naming names or take the blame, um, you know, I pointed out that there's a reason, Steve, that you got charged. And Justice for Janelle was arbitrary. I told him that, Steve, they didn't just pick your name out of the 1984 phone book. You went to them, and then you wouldn't shut up. And I, I, I think I've – I don't know. Did I say that in the first letter or whatever? But it's still clear to me. That if Steve Pankey keeps his mouth shut and never says a word about Janelle Matthews, he never gets charged with her murder. Ever. And this is something we have to remember about disappearances and, and murders and everything else. That uh, it should be a good lesson for all of us that um, 
in, in when we think about them in, in thinking about Steve Pankey, that it's very possible to go totally, 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 totally under the radar if you never say anything. And I think given what we know about Steve, what we know about Janelle and everything, had he just not done anything, he would still be a free man. But that's not what happened. And I, I pointed that out to him in my letter. So that's the update, and um, we'll see if he writes back. We'll see if I get letter number two, and if I do get a number two letter, then I will write a letter back to him. So it very well may be for the next update episode at the end of December, I have a couple Steve Panky letters to read, or maybe I'll have none, but that's the update. Next update, Jordan Carvalho. I think this is the first one uh, we have now in this update episode where remains have been found. Jordan Victor Carvalho was a 30-year-old from Golden Valley, Arizona. He was a quiet guy who was close to his brother. Just after sunrise on September 1st, 2019, Jordan's grandmother saw him walk away from their home. He liked to go out into the desert once in a while. Jordan never returned. He was never seen again. The update is this. Remains found in a wash in Golden Valley last year, so back in 2022, have been positively identified as an Arizona man who went missing in 2019, according to the Mojave County Sheriff's Office. The office said using advanced DNA testing and genome sequencing, authorities were able to identify the remains as Jordan Victor Carvalho, 30 years old of Golden Valley, uh, Arizona. Carvalho was reported missing by a family member on September 30th of 2019 after the family had not heard from him in a few weeks. Officials said the remains were located by, located by a citizen on September 12th, 2022. So almost a year ago is when the remains were first found. And they were sent to the Mojave County Medical Examiner's Office, which was unable to positively identify the individual. In March 2023, a sample from the remains was submitted to Othram. To conduct a genetic genealogy investigation that resulted in the identification of Carvalho on July 7th of 2023. Due to the state of the remains when they were located, the, an official cause of death could not be determined. Anyone with information regarding the case of Jordan Carvalho is encouraged to contact the Mojave County, Mojave County Sheriff's Office Detective Division at 928-753-0753, extension 42. Eight, eight in Golden Valley is located about 200 miles northwest of Phoenix near the Arizona-Nevada border and uh, Golden Valley, given that I've been through Golden Valley many times back in the day or, in, or at least by it. It's right there near Kingman where, of course, Tyler Stice went missing. They're very close to each other. What is it? About a – man. I don't know. Uh, hour and a half drive, hour and 20-minute drive down there. Something like that. The thing I always remember about Golden Valley is that the road that runs through Golden Valley, like goes from Kingman through Golden Valley down toward Laughlin, Nevada. This road is so straight. It's it's just you can I mean you can look, I guess, Google satellite view or whatever. It is so straight. It's crazy and it goes up into these mountains. Then it kind of gets curvy. That's what I always remember about Golden Valley. But I, regarding Jordan, I don't think anybody is necessarily surprised by this. 
uh, given the circumstances. Uh, I, I did have to. I do have to admit that there was a part of me I was thinking, you know, could there be foul play to go meet somebody? But this kind of leads me to believe that there was no foul play. What I can't tell all of you, because I couldn't find it anywhere, is how far exactly was this from where he lived? No information on that. And I've not uh, spoken uh, to his family uh, about any of this either. Maybe I should put that on my list of things to do. But his remains were found back almost a year ago in September 2022, and then it took this long for them to be identified, even though – I mean I know they want to do for sure for sure, but how many people are really missing in that area? Not not too many. Yes, Tyler Stice went missing from Kingman, which like I said is about – 15 minutes away or something like that. Maybe not even that. So there are other people missing there, but I guess that just also shows that they needed to do genetics, so it must have just been bones. It's very, very sad. But Jordan, if you go back to that episode, he had a lot of issues going on. Um, But his uh, disappearance is now resolved, and and I'm very comfortable with the idea that there was no foul play here just because Jordan did have a lot going on. Now, if his remains had been found 20 miles away, that might be different. But being that it was still in the Golden Valley area, I think this is uh, a walk-off, died maybe an overdose, exposure, something like that. Very sad. Next update. Paul Sanders. Paul David Sanders was a 17-year-old from Mesa, Arizona. He was originally from Missouri and very athletic. On August 14, 2001, someone, the person may or may not have been Paul, driving Paul's truck was pulled over by law enforcement in Tucson. A chase ensued in which the driver escaped. The truck was later found wrecked several miles away with no signs of Paul. He was never seen again. Now, on a previous update episode, was it the one in April or maybe the one going way back to December? Um, I told all of you that one of my assistants, uh, her name is Carrie, and then a listener, her name is Jill. She's also a, a Patreon member. She's also a member of the Think Tank. They've been working with Paul's sister, who was the guest for that episode. They've all been working together to try to get to the bottom of all of this, going through a lot of jurisdictional issues in Mesa and elsewhere. And they've, sit, uh, they've hit uh, quite a few roadblocks, but I think they've also found some helpful people as well. And, uh, you know, I asked, uh, it was Jill who responded to me today about all of this, but. And even though she responded, gave me a big response, I don't really necessarily know how much she allows me to say. So I'm going to keep it to a minimum. But they're going – once again, they've become the experts on this disappearance. I, at this point, am not. But you should know they're going forth with the idea that Paul was not driving his truck that day and that, yes – this was foul play somewhere at some time. You should know that. This is what 
and I know Carrie very well. She's been a sister of mine for, what, five years or something like this now. And Jill, I've gotten to know her well because of the think tank, and in fact, she and I have talked a couple times on the phone. She's a counselor, mental health expert, and so I have uh, gone to her a couple times to talk about mental health issues, trying to understand what some of these missing people might have been going through. And so I I consider them to be very level-headed people, not prone to sensationalism, and they say that the facts are pointing in this direction. And in fact, uh, even today uh, in this message that Jill sent me, that they have a couple places if they could get a bunch of people together, they're pretty sure that they have narrowed it down to two different places where Paul probably is, one or the other. And if they could get a large enough group of people together, really believe they went into one of these two places that they would find Paul's remains. I'm not going to reveal where those locations are. In case it was fall playing, somebody wants to go out there and if there are remains out there to move them or anything, I'm just going to leave it at that. But I don't know. We don't know if uh, Jill and Carrie are are correct and Paul's sister are correct or not. But they've been working uh, very um, hard on this. Of course, they've done a a podcast on this called Missing Chapters, if you want to check that out. So I have to admit this is going in a different direction than what I thought it would when Unfound covered Paul's disappearance uh, a couple years ago. Uh, I will tell you that I thought it was Paul driving the truck, <clears throat> and the reason he ran might have been because there were drugs in the car or something. And, uh, I, I mean, they Carrie and Jill found out all sorts of stuff, that the chase wasn't exactly the way the police described, and a, a bunch of other things that we thought were pretty clear-cut, but weren't. So that's been a part of what they've been doing. I think Jill and Carrie have been working on this. Um, maybe not – well, they, I think they've been working on it since after uh, Paul's sister was on. Um, so they've been working on this a little while, and they've been doing nice work. So that is the update. Carrie, Jill, and Paul's sister working together, and they're going in a direction of foul play. Next update, Kyle Fleischman. Kyle Richard Fleischman was a 24-year-old from Charlotte, North Carolina. He was a popular guy who chose a career in business. In the early morning hours of November 9th, 2007, after going to a show and a bar, Kyle was alone in the uptown part of Charlotte. He tried calling several people, seemingly to pick him up, but Kyle left no messages. He was never seen again. Now, what's going on here, uh, if you remember for this episode, uh, was not a family member who was the guest, but uh, a young woman, her name is Reggie, uh, R-E-G-I, was the guest, and she's not related to Kyle in any way, did not know him in any way, but over the years, she has become um, very involved in trying to figure out what happened to Kyle, and and she did a fantastic interview last year. Well, she continues to uh, work on this, and uh, with a little, maybe a little guidance from me, I maybe speak to her once a month or something about the work that she's doing. But what she has done since she was on uh, the episode in 2022 is that she's 
uh, looked at those videos, found as much video as she could, like still um, stills of the video, and she's using she's been using facial recognition software to identify people in, in these in these uh, screenshots. I know it's kind of creepy, but that has worked in identifying some of the people who, I guess, for the last fifteen years have never been identified. So that's something uh, that she continues to work on. It's, uh, of course, back in 2007 when Cal went missing, this could have never been predicted, I suppose. But although uh, there was that movie, what was it, Minority Report with Tom Cruise, people walking into the stores and a uh, very futuristic movie. It's kind of what I think of when I think of facial recognition software. But she's been doing that. And she's uh, also been concentrating on this hotel, this Holiday Inn or whatever it was or is, that is very close to this bar where Kyle went that that night. And this is not something that's new. You can go onto a variety of um, sites, Web Sleuths or Reddit or wherever, and this whole Holiday Inn type of theory, hotel theory – is uh, prominent in those discussions. Did Kyle go over there? And uh, the work that Reggie has been doing, she's been digging more into that, and that hotel was a popular place, seemingly, for a lot of people to go after that bar had closed, or maybe even people staying in downtown. That's where they would stay, and she's been really um, looking at the parking lot situation there, the parking garage situation there. Is there the possibility that Cal knew some people or was there a party going over there on over there and he went over there? She's taking a a, a long look at that. She's also spoken to the former saloon manager and this person told her that there were five cameras uh, inside, outside of uh, the place at that time, and you should know this bar no longer exists, but maybe there's another bar there now, but the place as it was in 2007 is not there now. And this uh, bar manager also said that uh, it was very common for people to leave stuff behind, being that Kyle left his credit card and his coat behind. Manager said, not unusual at all. And Reggie's also made a couple videos uh, that she has posted uh, where she has actually gone into downtown Charlotte and uh, walked up and down those streets. And so she's done that as well. So she's been doing a lot since she was on Unfound um, not quite a year ago. I think she was on, what, September, October of 2022. And you should know I'm I'm supporting her, trying to help her as objectively as I can. I will tell all of you, though, that I continue to believe that there was no foul play here, that Kyle walked off like many young men do. I've talked about uh, at least a couple of stories just recently on the li- uh, on the live show out of Brooklyn in, New- Brooklyn in New York City where this has happened. Of course, those men were found deceased. It's a very common type of disappearance. I realize it's the whole smiley face killer theory, what I would call a hoax. But 
young people getting drunk and being by themselves is a recipe for disaster. I continue to believe that. But on the other hand, I have to give Reggie all the credit in the world. And surely for all of you, if you are looking to do an amateur investigation of some disappearance, this is surely the way you go about it. I have no complaints about the way uh, Reggie is uh, doing her work. So uh, I think it would be good if you're think, uh, thinking of doing that, really uh, admire the work that Reggie has been doing over these last few years. And remember, never met Cal, not related to him in any way. She's a complete stranger to him and his entire family, and still she's devoting a lot of time in her life to this and doing it the right way without the sensationalism uh, that so many other people have brought to other amateur-style investigations where they just go public with all sorts of crazy things. This is not what Reggie's doing. She's working very uh, quietly, modestly, and I give her all the respect in the world for that. So she's continuing to work on it, and those are some of the things she's doing. Next update, Bo Man. So you can tell we're getting very close uh, to the present here. Now, this is something that transpired right after the last update episode occurred at the end of April of 2023. And in fact, as you will hear here, here, here in a moment, uh, here, 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 H-E-A-R, and then H-E-R-E. <laughs> but uh, Bo's remains were discovered right before the update episode came out in April, but they weren't identified until after the update episode came out. So Bo Michael Mann was a 39-year-old from L.A., California. He was a tech entrepreneur. I hate that word. I can't pronounce it. Who had lived all over the United States on November 30th. 2021, Bo took multiple Lyft and Uber rides with him finally getting dropped off at an address in Santa Monica. He was never seen again. And this uh, is a disappearance that made national news uh, for a while, and then it kind of went away uh, here at Unfound. This episode came out at the, um, what was it, about in what? March, maybe February, March of this year, 2023, and kind of brought it back to prominence. And then what happened is the following story. The body of a sober living advocate and chief executive officer was found in California more than a year after he went missing. Police said Monday, this is an article from a few months ago, this is back going back to May. Bowman, 39, was the founder and CEO of Sober Grid, a digital health company that provides mental health addiction care in the U.S. and internationally with services including peer recovery counseling and social networking. Mann founded the company in 2015. The remains were found in the 2900 block of Santa Monica Boulevard, the area's police department said on Facebook. The body was identified as Mann's on May 6th. I, I believe that... The remains were found around April 25th, something like that. And like it says here, May 6th is when they were identified. In December 2021, man was reported missing to LAPD. 
The CEO was last seen on November 30th, 2021. Man was last seen outside a convenience store in Studio, Studio City wearing a blue baseball cap, dark sweatshirt, and pants and black shoes. According to CBS Los Angeles, man texted 911 shortly after leaving the store. This is all everything that was covered in the episode when I had his mother as a guest. The L.A. County coroner has possession of his remains and is working to determine the cause of death. I'll get to that in a moment. According to CBS LA, man's identity was confirmed with dental records. That's why so quickly, so quickly it happened. In contrast, had they gone to DNA, and uh, the story continues. We want to thank all those who helped us search for him and who prayed for Bo's safe return over the past year and a half. Bo is a beautiful soul who spent the better part of his life helping others. We miss his infectious smile and positive attitude every day. We know his spirit will live on through his company and passion. Sober Grid, as it continues to help those struggling with the grip of addiction. That was a family statement. In a statement on the Facebook page, on, on Sober Grid's Facebook page, said it was a sad day for the community. The organization said Bo's remains were found in a grassy area about a mile away from where he was dropped off. I'll get to that in a moment. By an Uber, the day went missing. We hope you will take a moment to think about Bo today. His bright smile and endless energy, endless energy and compassion will be missed. While he's no longer with us, we know Bo's spirit will live on in Sobergrid's mission to help those in need. The organization said. The organization said. Now, when this happened back in May, I, I covered it quite extensively on the live show, but I realized that a lot of you don't. Watch or listen to the live show, even though you should be doing so. <clears throat> but uh, I did like a map analysis and, and, and everything back at the time. Um, this article kind of gets it wrong. He was not a mile away. It was easily less than a mile away. Easily less than a mile away. In addition... His body was found right along the alley that that comes up to right beside where he was dropped off. Remember, going back to the uh, the woman who owned that house, uh, Joanna Good. Remember from that episode, and she died back in January, and I believe from an overdose, and that. But if you were to go to that address and looking at the house where this address is, and if you look just to the left, there is an alleyway that kind of goes in a southwest direction, kind of that direction. If you go down there, a little probably over a quarter of a mile, but right there on the left, there was um, kind of a courtyard type area for some buildings that I think might have been open in 2021, but now that entire area has been condemned. Inside that fenced area there is where Bo's remains were found. So if you were to walk down that alleyway, alleyway, alley a quarter mile over, quarter mile, and right there on the left is where he was back in this little area, and it looks... Like it, there were several pictures taken at the time that it looked like it had been come had become a, a homeless encampment, and even though it had been fenced off at some time, you go back to 2021. You want to go and do a street view, Google Street View. You will see that 
the place. There were people living in there, something not now. So what to think about all of this? You should know. Uh, so that is how he disappeared. Now, you should know in talking to his mother, and I, I normally don't want to get into everything that she said. But the the coroner determined that, yes, given the state of the deterioration of his body, it does look like Bo died right around that time. And in fact, the coroner even you know, kind of, if you really look at it, Bo's body was even deteriorated more than you would think for a body that had most likely been in that location the whole time. So this is not a situation where he was deceased and somebody moved him there. It is believed that he was in that exact same spot from the day that he went missing. And so back in that episode, or maybe you talked amongst yourselves or in your own heads, how can somebody disappear in an urban area where there are no forests, there are no rivers? doesn't look like anybody could necessarily hide anywhere. Well, this is how it happens. This kind of goes back to like Daniel Villarreal, which was a, an update from the April uh, 23, uh, 2023 uh, update episode, ep- update episode number 14, where he was found in an abandoned outhouse. I mean, who would, who would think it? in Glendale, Arizona? So it's the same kind of thing with Bo that he really wasn't necessarily hidden. In fact, it's very clear to me that several people probably came across his body over that time, but nobody did anything. And uh, as far as his computers and everything, they're gone. Nobody knows what happened to those. As far as cause of death, probably never going to know that. There were no signs of foul play, no bullet holes, no stabbing wounds, nothing like that. I don't think he had his neck broken or any concussions or anything like that. No foul signs of foul play at all. So this the it's very sad. So what happened that day? Um you know, to remind all of you of uh, going back to earlier this year, and in fact, I know I mentioned it in the last update episode about Bo, which was before I knew that his remains had been found, that there was a woman who I had talked to who knew Joanna Good, and she tracked down somebody who, this woman insists, and I talked to this woman, who insists that she saw Bo and Joanna Good together at one time, going back some years, maybe 2016, 2017, something like that. So is there still a Joanna Good component to this disappearance? Certainly possible, but there's, I I don't, this is just one person saying that she saw the two of them together. I don't know. But now we know that Bo was found right down the street and there's no signs of foul play. Thus, we have to start thinking some sort, I guess, of overdose or something. It's certainly possible that maybe he had a stroke or something. 
seems unlikely for a person being 39, but it happens. And he wandered off. Certainly possible. But do we now see that 911 call maybe in a different light? That there was something going on with him. He just maybe it already shot up at that time, or maybe he noticed, maybe he wasn't on drugs at all. Maybe he noticed something physically was going on with him or mentally was going on with him, felt something coming on, but didn't tell the Uber driver about it, which is certainly possible. And I, I and I still don't see the Uber driver as being a uh, a possibility at all in this disappearance. It's hard to understand why that would happen. But did he get there? Did he get dropped off there? And just wander down, wander down the street, not really knowing what he was doing. And in that way, is this a disappearance like Noah Davis? Is this a disappearance like Don, uh, Robbie Hurt? We have to be open to that. Uh, the truth is, we may never know. All we know is that the state of his remains, uh, when they were found, no foul play was seen on the body. It had been there. 99.9% sure that it was there the entire time from that day. It, I have to admit, it does seem like a weird place. If somebody dumped him there, that seems like a weird place to put him being that other people were going in and out of that area. What are the odds these people would ignore? Uh, it's uh, Bo's uh, body. Would it not make more sense that if he was overdosing or overdosed and somebody was trying to get rid of him, that they would take him somewhere or she or he would take Bo's body somewhere that wouldn't be seen. That makes a lot more sense. So, but this is, you know, I, I have it written right here in my notes. This is the kind of disappearance resolution that kind of shakes you to a core, to my core, as a person who, you know, has devoted so much of his life over the last seven years to really, really understanding disappearances. Why do they happen? How are they resolved? And we come up on these kind, like a Daniel Villarreal, like a Bowman, or um, can't think of his name uh, right now, Brandon Barton, Brian Barton, from up there in the state of Washington, where he was found in some bushes on church property, and it wasn't until they cleared it all out and there was remains were. These are the kind of disappearances that they're statistical anomalies on one hand. On the other hand, they seem to be common enough that you can't forget about this type of scenario when you start thinking about disappearances that could fall into this category. It's re it's really, really weird. On one hand, you think that you know that they're rare compared to all the other disappearances that we've covered on Unfound, but even within Unfound's own catalog of you know, three hundred disappearances, we've had three or four where the remains have been found in places you might not expect. So it's, it's tough. If, if this was easy, everybody would be doing it. But that is the update on Bowman. Remains found end of April, identified early May. No signs of foul play. Found right down the street. 
And we have to remember how many people were going around and searching the alleys and backyards, getting permission for this and handing out flyers and everything else. And surely Bo's remains were found within the search area. And this is why I keep saying that all searches prove is that you just haven't found the missing person yet. That does not mean the person or the remains uh, are not in the search area. All it means is you searched it and you didn't find anything. But that doesn't mean the missing person isn't there. This is another example of that. So very sad. And uh, uh, I... You know, like I said, I've talked to Amy, his mother, a couple times. She thanked me, thanked the listeners, thanked, you know, everything uh, that we did earlier this year. Uh, I, I, In retrospect, I wonder how what would have happened if Joanna Good was still alive when Bo's remains would have been found. Found right down the street and go back to her. And Like I said, I'm not... I'm not convinced that the two knew each other, despite what this one woman told me. I'm not convinced Joanna Good had anything to do with his disappearance or knew what happened or anything. But it would have been very interesting if she were still alive and he had been found. Like everything happened, but Joe is still alive and then go back to her with this. So there's that. uh, Very sad. Um, Moving on. Next update, and this is the final update for all of the regular Unfound podcast episodes that come out every Friday. Alan Glasgow. Alan Glasgow was a 32-year-old from Benton, Arkansas. He was a father who once lived in Canada. In late October into early November 2021, Alan seemed to gradually lose contact with those around him, first with his family, then with his social media friends, and finally with his two female roommates. He was never seen again. Uh, This is uh, short and unsweet. Uh, Actually, Alan, not long after this episode came out, and this might come out, what, the week after Bowman, or maybe into April sometime uh, of 2023, uh, he was found alive, and... The details uh, are not very complete. It was his, um, the mother of his child who was the guest, and she was the one who contacted me. Somehow, after the episode came out, the authorities were able to track Alan down somewhere, and he just told them, no, I, I, I'm, I don't have anything to do with my family, friends, anything, anyone anymore. So that is the short and unsweet finding of Alan Glasgow, and I have to admit, the way we all got to know Alan during that episode, I don't think any of us are really surprised by that at all. In fact, I think a lot of people really did believe getting to know him that there was a huge possibility or probability that he was alive out there somewhere because he just wasn't a very good guy, very nice guy, uh, nothing. Um, Criminal in Canada, threatening women, everything else. So I don't think this resolution is a surprise uh, to anyone. Now, you should know, uh, now that we're done uh, with uh, all of the updates for the podcast, that Unfound has actually covered four disappearances 
that got solved within weeks of those episodes coming out. Those would be Matthew Braswell. Uh, his remains were found, and that was on the, the past update episode. His remains were found just a few weeks after the, his episode came out. Same way with Brandon Roberts, who, by the way, continues to recover from his burns. Uh, he's back with his family now. But he was found after he fell into a fire or something uh, right after the, the episode about him came out. And then we covered Bo Man's disappearance sometime in February or March. And what do you know, a month later, six weeks later, his remains are found in L.A. And then the same way with Alan Glasgow, just weeks after the episode came out, uh, he was found alive somewhere. Is this a coincidence regarding all of this? I really don't know. Um... But statistically, I would be inclined to believe that somebody somewhere out there took an interest in uh, at least one of these disappearances or something and was able to put it all together. Maybe in like an Alan Glasgow's case, maybe it was enough that the podcast came out that local authorities decided to do something or something. I just – it's hard for me to imagine there's no causation and correlation there given that it's four. If it was just one, I'd say, well, it's just coincidence. You start getting up to four in like a period of four months or something, then I start to think, I think there is some causation and correlation, and, and that makes me feel good. So there you go. That is the end of the podcast section. I am now going to move on to updates on disappearances covered in the YouTube series Unfound Now. And the first one is Candy Gonzalez. This is uh, an Unfound Now episode that came out in July or August of 2021. Remains found in Prestonburg last year, so 2022, have been positively identified as 36-year-old Candy Gonzalez who had been missing since June 2021. Police made her family aware this week. It's pretty heart-stopping because all this time I hold out hope, held out hope that she was alive and now it's the end. Candy's mother, Betty Dixon, said as she fought back tears. Dixon said it was her niece that found the bones in the woods last year after a logger had found a nearby skull. So some loggers in that area finds a skull, let somebody know. They go back out there and they find additional bones. She didn't know at the time that it was candy. She just saw something white and just started pulling it out of the ground. And she comes away with teeth in her hand, Dixon said. I can't imagine it. Police used DNA to see if it was candies. The family, as well as the authorities, had searched extensively for her. Betty said she would travel from her home in central Kentucky to Floyd County every weekend. Candy was the mother of a five-year-old. She was so happy. She loved people and would do anything for them. She loved her little boy above anything. While an official cause of death has not been determined, Dixon said the family thinks foul play was involved. They've been frustrated with the police investigation. Dixon is now planning her daughter's funeral, which is set for July 8th, so a month and a half ago. She's currently collecting pictures to be used at the funeral. I'm, I've, I'm never going to get that hug again. I'm never going to get, going to get to hear her laugh again, Dixon said. I can look at all these and remember all the great times and the fun times we had, but we'll never talk about it again. I won't have that again because somebody took that right away from me. Somebody did. 
uh, to remind you of this disappearance. This is the one, maybe this will um, make the light bulb go off. This is the one where we actually had video of her running off. She, something was going on. She was acting like somebody was after her. And she was running in somebody's backyard, and she was like running away from the camera. And there's like a creek bed on the border of the back part of the property, and you see Candy running away from the property, and then she jumps down into this creek bed and then goes left off camera. Maybe that will remind you uh, of of this particular disappearance. Um, the remains were found actually in April of 2022. It took this long to do DNA. Uh, Logger found the, blown, the bone, as it said uh, in the article. And I did look at the map. I tried to get as good, a, an, uh, as good an idea as I could as to where her remains were found, although most of the stories are not that exact, but really not that far from where she was last seen. And I realize in the article that the family thinks it was foul play. Uh, As you would expect, I I do not think that happened. Um, I mean, really, what are the odds that she's having this mania episode? She's on video. She says somebody's chasing after. There's nobody chasing after her. And she ends up close, not that far, maybe over, um, she ran down the creek, maybe one over, a hill or a small mountain. I don't know what the difference would be, but, uh, and then that's where she was found. It's really not that far away. Um, not as close as Bo Man was to where the Uber driver dropped them off to that address where Joanna Good lived. Not that close, but within a few miles of where Candy was seen on video. And really, this is how these disappearances go. People who are running off doesn't matter gender, doesn't matter ethnicity, race, or even age, anything. These people running away, thinking that people are after them when there's nobody chasing them and saying things that don't make any sense. This is how these disappearances usually end. It's very sad. I don't know what ultimately put Candy in this mentality. Could it be drugs? Did she have a mental health issue? ongoing something maybe she was trying to cover up or whatever very possible but uh, if I were talking to her family and I've never spoken to her family I would be telling them that you know I I know you want to believe that this is foul play but you should know this type of disappearance is very common and the foul play is usually very very low on the probability chart still very sad but like I said, I think back at the time, I don't think anybody is surprised or should be surprised that this is uh, the resolution to Candy's disappearance. Next update. Once again, this is another Unfound Now episode. Disappearance of Justin Siwek, S-I-W-E-K. Detectives have identified the remains of a missing man found in mid-April. This is mid-April, once again, of 2023, but it took uh, some time to identify him. Kansas City, Kansas police said a hiker found the remains of 32-year-old Justin Siwek in Wyandotte County. Siwek disappeared in June 2021. His family said they found his car parked at a hotel near Kansas Speedway. Siwek's father told Fox 4 after his son's disappearance that Siwek's car was empty. Someone pried open a window and glass was broken. 
He also believed his son went out with a woman he met on Facebook but did not know well. Two months after his disappearance, Sywick's mother said she believed the woman lured her son to the hotel where he was robbed and killed. Police used forensic testing and DNA provided by a family member to identify Sywick. Police Smartman says his death, death remains under investigation. Anyone who knows information about his death is to call the TIPS hotline at 816-474-TIPS. As it explains uh, what was just read in that article were, were the circumstances. You should know that Justin uh, had a criminal record. He was into drugs uh, extensively. And I, I didn't go back and listen or watch the, the Unfound Now episode for Justin's disappearance in preparation to um, talk about him in this update episode. But I, at this point, I'm not surprised that this was the outcome. And, and yes, I did check a map. His remains were found not too far from the hotel where his car was parked not too far away. That doesn't mean it wasn't foul play. And uh, I'm hoping that his remains were in a condition that they could look into that. It says the police department says his death remains under investigation. We'll see what that means. But uh, this is one, another one of those where this feels like Bowman. This feels like um, uh, Robbie Hurt. This feels like Daniel Villarreal. This feels like Josh Davis. People who run off for whatever reason. Candy Gonzalez just talked about her. This is kind of what it feels like here. I know that his car was broken into. Who knows? He could have done that himself. Who knows what kind of state of mind he was in. We just don't know. But that is the resolution that he was found. His remains were found not far from where his car was parked in the uh, parking lot. I think it was of a Days Inn. So if you were to go to a map, you'll find Kansas Speedway. The Days Inn is, I don't know, a quarter mile, half mile to the east of the Speedway. And then Justin's remains were found like to the south of that somewhere. So not far. And can't like I said, not surprised uh, given the facts and given what I think I know about uh, these particular kinds of disappearances. Next update, uh, technically updates, Dwayne Selby and Glenda Parton. This is going to take some reading because uh, really to bring this all together, uh, I have to give you some of the details. It's a, it's a fairly complex disappearance. Uh, Dwayne Selby was last seen in Turley, Oklahoma on October 22nd, 2021. He and his longtime roommate and business partner, 76-year-old Jack Grimes, planned to attend a horse show in the Dallas-Fort Worth area of Texas, a four-and-a-half-hour drive to the south and buy a horse. The men were driving a maroon four-door 2001 Ford Taurus uh, with Oklahoma license plates. And they never made it to the horse show, and there's no evidence they left the local area at all. Both men disappeared. And so Glenda, who is the mother of Dwayne, when he went missing, she got involved trying to figure out what happened to him. Uh, Glenda Parton, nicknamed Cookie, 
who lived with her daughter and son-in-law about an hour from Turley, decided to report her son missing on October 25th. The police said they need, needed his social security number, so she decided to drive to Selby's home in Turley to get his social security guard. She is known to have arrived at Selby and Grimes' house. A relative who lived within sight of the house saw a car in the driveway. Glenda was last seen at 8 p.m. that day at a Reeser's store in Owasso, Oklahoma. She'd given a ride to one of Grimes and Selby's ranch hands. They purchased food, which, which was later found in Grimes and Selby's refrigerator. She was behaving normally in the store and didn't appear to be under duress. Well, she then went missing. So Jack and Dwayne go missing. Glenda goes to try to find her son. Then she goes missing. And Jack Grimes' car is eventually found. Her car is eventually found in a totally different location. Well, what happened was that Jack Grimes, um, his remains were eventually found. And uh, he w- it was murder. Somebody had murdered him. But Dwayne... D-Wayne, and it's not Dwayne, it's D-E-W-A-Y-N-E. D-Wayne and Glenda, mother and son, were still missing. And that's that happened once again. To go back uh, to remind you of the date, um, that was on October 22nd of 2021. And then Glenda went missing somewhere around October 25th of 2021. And by the way, October 25th is my mother's birthday. So... Those are the stories, and once again, Jack Grimes had been found uh, deceased and not far from his car, and he had been murdered. So here's the update. The Tulsa County Sheriff's Office confidently believes they have found the bodies of D. Wayne Selby and his mother, Glenda Parton, near 5600 North Lewis Avenue. In a news conference Wednesday, and this is just recently, this is like when I, Wednesday, that would have been around... Uh, August 17th, 16th, 17th, something like that. Sheriff Regalado said they are still working to get official DNA confirmation, but they are proceeding with the belief that these bodies are connected to this case. He says that items found, items found around the bodies are good evidence that led them to this conclusion. The bodies were found about a half mile or so from where their friend Jack Grimes was located back in 2021. So Jack's found, deceased, murdered, this mother and son, Dwayne and Glenda, they're found not far away just recently. And guess what? They had been murdered too. Sheriff says that the original person of interest is still of interest and Sheriff's office will not release the name or relationship at this time. They believe the murders may have occurred separately, but within a very close timeline, sheriffs are still investigating what led to the murders uh, Selby, Parton, and family friend Jack Grimes disappeared on October 21st. Detectives found Grimes' body on November 1st, so like uh, um, like eight days, nine days later. The Cookie and Selby were still missing. And uh, two news previously reported, Selby and Grimes were at a horse show in Fort Worth, Texas, the pair was expected to drive back to Turley on October 25th. When they did not show up, Cookie started looking for her son, and then she went missing. Um, so that is the update there. I'm guessing that this ranch hand who worked for Dwayne and Jack is probably making a uh, probably making a pretty good suspect 
right at this point. Now, what exactly happened here? It's really hard to say. You'd think it has something to do with horses or something, but maybe not. We just don't know. Uh, But it is certainly one of those a lig of their own types of disappearances that you have three people who all know each other go missing within like three days of each other. Then one is found and the two or other are missing for like two years and then they're found. And when it's all said and done, they were all murdered. And uh, Glenda goes missing, searching for and goes missing while searching for her son. The thing is, I've read maybe a couple disappearances that have been like this. Where somebody goes missing, somebody goes to find that person, that person goes missing too, but it is rare. There's surely more than one instance of that incident like that out there, but it's really, really unusual. So that is the update for uh, Dwayne Selby and Glenda Parton, where this is surely murders have occurred, and um, we'll see where this goes. Next unfound now update, Dana Smithers. Uh, this um, was from May 1st. So once again, this happened right after the last update episode, just like all the news with Bowman. On May 1st of 2023, Stroud Area Regional Police Department in Pennsylvania announced that Dana Smithers had been found dead a few days earlier on April 27th. The department said in a press release that at approximately 11.22 a.m. that day, dispatch received a call from borough employee who discovered what was believed to be human remains in a wooded area next to Park Avenue and the I-80 East on-ramp in the borough of Stroudsburg. The remains were recovered by detectives and turned over to the coroner's office, and the autopsy conducted back then determined that the remains belonged to Dana. The cause and manner of her death are currently undetermined. So to remind all of you of this one, this is the one where she had gone out somewhere like to a a carnival or a fair or something. And she had come home and then she walked down to a friend of hers place down the street. And she seemed a little nervous smoking a cigarette. uh, And I think they even had video of her maybe walking into this house and then walking out. And then she went missing. We should know that her remains, I just said, uh, near I-80 and uh, on-ramp. Let me read it again if you want to look up it on on a map. Park Avenue and the I-80 East on-ramp in Stroudsburg, PA. Very close to where she lived. Very, Very close to where she was last seen. Now, the twist in all of this, and... Like I said, to me, this just once again seems like, and she did have a drug problem. Something was going on, obviously, with her. In fact, people who saw her that night said so. So this is another one of those where I'm not inclined to think that foul play occurred. However, the twist in this is that when this all happened and a grand jury was convened, Back at that time after the remains were identified to be Dana Smithers just to see, you know, was this a crime? Was there foul play or whatever else? Who did the uh, attorney, the district attorney or prosecutor 
presenting the case to the grand jury bring in, but Christopher Koberger's parents, the guy that seemingly allegedly probably killed those kids in Idaho. Remember that? And remember he was, when they found him, he was back in Pennsylvania. Well, this is not far from where Dana Smithers went missing. At the time, I, I will admit at the time, I, I, I guess what they were trying to say is, could Christopher Koberger have been responsible for Dana's disappearance? I have no idea where Christopher Koberger was at the time, but given what I understand about if we're to believe he killed those, those students in Idaho, that was an infatuation uh, gone bad. Whereas what are we saying with this? I've, from the outset, it just seemed like quite a, quite a bit of a stretch. And I think now that we're like four months since then, it's my perception is all of the speculation about this has really died down. This got some headlines and everything at the time. And dare I say, maybe that's the reason the reporter said it like, you know, wrote it and reported on it. And dare I say, you know, I don't know what the prosecutor was thinking. I don't know. It just seems a little sensationalist. And, and, and in fact, I would compare this very much to Rex Horman and being where we started this update episode with Rex Horman and Jesse Foster. Now, with Jesse Foster, I certainly believe that she was murdered, but Las Vegas has enough killers to think that she was murdered by somebody there. Whereas with Dana Smithers, how exactly – we have to remember Christopher was in his 20s. She's in her 40s. How did they know each other? Did it was – you know, we just try to put this all together, and it's a little, little complicated. On top of the fact, what are the odds that Dana Smithers gets murdered, but at the same time everybody was saying about her? You know, she seemed to be going through something and – on top of that, then she gets murdered, where it seems to me uh, there was a recipe going on there that Dana was a very good candidate to disappear all on her own. So Christopher Koberger's parents get called to the grand jury. Grand jury, I guess, uh, four months later, we don't know much about it, but I'm guessing that the grand jury just decided we think that Dana Smellers just died on her own from something that night. Which I would uh, agree with them, especially given the location so close to where Dana lived, where she, so close to where she was last seen. And uh, when we look at Christopher Koberger, we have to remember that if we were to believe he murdered those students, that was not those were not random killings. He knew at least one of those young women. Very sad, but it was not random. This would be random, and this is why I totally discount it. Uh, very sad, but I think that Dana Smithers, just like Candy Gonzalez, uh, and we're going to talk about another one here, Christopher Miller. I think all these people just died on their own. This is the last update for this episode. Christopher Miller. The family of Christopher Miller does not feel a sense of closure after he was found dead inside an abandoned house in rural Rock County. Christopher Miller's family is feeling numb after his body is found nearly nine months after he went missing. The 28-year-old's body was discovered by the Rock County Sheriff's Office 
on Sunday, and the family was notified Monday morning. This is just within like the past 10 days. Once again, I'm recording this part on August 23rd. So just within the last two weeks here in August of 2023 is when this happened. He was my best friend. We talked about everything. He was a good person. Miller's mother, mother, Tammy James said, it's just a shock. Closure, I don't know because there's still so many questions. As a mother, she said she can't help but consider what happened during his final moments. Did he eat? I just want to know how long he's been there. Has he been there all this time? Just how long? He didn't just walk that far, go to that house and sit there for almost nine months and just die. It's too far of a distance with no coat and just a jogging suit in that weather, those fields. I just don't see it. Miller's fiance, Mallory Durst, said she'll have to explain to their children that they won't ever see their father alive again. I tell Carter every night when I rock him to sleep that his sleep that his dad loves him very much. He always will. He'll look at, at pictures in our house and still says, Daddy and Dada will watch videos together. Durst gave birth to their second child after Miller went missing. She named their daughter after Chris. I'm just thankful that I took a lot of pictures and video of him and Carter just to have his memories. Our daughter, Krishan, won't have that because he wasn't here when she was born. As of Tuesday evening, Rock County investigators are still parked outside of the abandoned home on South Creek Road in the town of Turtle. Yes, like the animal, Turtle, T-U-R-T-L-E. We could not add any new information that wasn't already shared Monday. James said the uh, Rock County Metal Examiner called her and told her it will take months to determine how Miller died and how long he'd been inside the house. And I doubt that. I don't know where that comes from. They should be able to determine that very quickly like they were able to determine that with Bowman. Here's a surprise to me. This, once again, was an Unfound Now episode. Covered it when it happened. To give you a little more background, this was the guy who was in Wisconsin, and uh, there was like a car chase. He pulls over to the side of the road. The badge cam or the dash cam, I can't remember which, shows him jump out of the car and run away, so away from the camera toward the front of his own car and off the road into the darkness. And the police did not give much of a chase. And as it says there in the article, it was uh, winter in Wisconsin when this happened. It was very cold out. And it does not seem that Christopher was dressed for those elements. But he took off, and the police did not chase him. Although I'm finding out now there are people who believe they did chase him and something of a foul play nature happened. I will tell you I'm not inclined to believe that. Um, Because we have to remember something. You're out there. It's dark. Don't know. Christopher Miller, as far as I can tell, was not a violent person, but how do how the police know that? So he runs off, and he's running off into a field, and they're going to chase him. could have a gun. He could have a knife in the dark. They, he could be waiting for them, you know, kind of an ambush type of thing. They're not going to do that. You know, if they believed he was a serial killer, if he was running away from a murder scene or something, then that might be different. But it seems to me this was some sort of DUI situation or, or something. And they're just not gonna they're just not gonna do that. I don't care what the race or gender of the driver is, they're not going to do that. They figure, well, you know what, we have his car. He has to pop up sooner or later. There's no reason for us to chase him. 
But he was found, as it said, Christopher Miller was found. Now, he was found a little bit of a distance away, more than you might expect. I think they said five miles away in this abandoned house. However, as I've uh, uh, discovered, having brought this up at the most recent Unfound Live show on YouTube, is there are people out there who believe there was foul play. Because uh, one of the cops, I guess in the video or something, used a... uh, uh, not the N word, but uh, called Christopher uh, a name. I just really don't want to get into it here, but that's one reason. And then there's somebody, a witness, who said the next day she saw the uh, cops rolling around wrestling with somebody outside of her home or something uh, that was in the area where this happened. I, so, what are we saying? The cops killed Christopher and then left him in this abandoned house. Why would they leave him anywhere? Why wouldn't they just make sure that nobody ever finds him? Why leave him in an abandoned house where there is at least a chance that somebody goes in there? I mean, that house is going to be torn down sooner or later. Maybe not this year, maybe in the year 2077 or something. Why not just, you know, there's much more efficient ways to get rid of bodies. So why didn't they do that? So I'm not inclined to believe um, that there was foul play here. I just think that you run from the cops and you're not dressed appropriately and you might be on drugs or on alcohol and it's cold out and you're running in the dark, bad things are going to happen. And don't be surprised if one of those things is death. Oh, so this is one of those times when I just want to remind you, remember what we've all learned on Unfound over the past seven years. Yes, have we covered some disappearances where cops were involved? Surely, Robin Abrams, front and center. But, and you know, we know some disappearances uh, that Unfound hasn't covered yet, like the two men who went missing south of me, where a cop surely caused the disappearances of those men because the cop was a racist. Certainly. But those instances do not look like this one. And we do know that people run off uh, when they get pulled over if they've been drinking or driving or have drugs in the car or whatever else. It's happening every day. And most of these people do run off. They don't die. And they're eventually caught. But under these circumstances, in that state, in that time of year, and running in the dark, and it's really cold out, and Christopher's not dressed appropriately, and who knows, he might have tripped and fallen, hit his head or something, the odds start going through the roof that this person is going to go missing, or is going to end up dead at least. And then eventually found the next day, not all this time later. So that is the final update uh, for this update episode uh, with the disappearance and then discovery of Christopher Miller. If you could now pause whatever you are doing as I now read off all of the missing people featured on Unfound and Unfound Now. Suzanne Lyle, Jason Jolkowski, Jesse Foster, Rose Marie Gayhart, Ben Charles Padilla, 
Kelly Rothwell, Joshua Guimond, Donnie Smatlack, Andrea Bowman, Robin Abrams, Regina Marie Boss, Christopher Hyde, Jeff Nichols, Rebecca Gary, James Walker, Teresa Butler, Charlotte Paulus, Lola Catherine Fry, Eric Franks, Jeff Joseph, Donna Michalenko, David Medot, Kent Monroe, and Omar Shearer, Claudia Wells, Peggy and Patty McDaniel, Shannon Turner, Brandy Wells, Clashindra Hall, Ronnie Russell, Esther Westenbarger, Shane Fell, Ashley Eifert, Brandon Williams, Craig Freer, Pamela Golden, Chip Campbell, Amanda DeGuio, The Passengers and Crew of Flight 370, April Pitzer, Jennifer Wilkerson, Kent Jacobs, Aaron Gilbert, Tammy Leppert, Crystal Morrison, Chris Turner, Linda Carroll, Nikki McCown, Helen Diamond, Laura Bible and Ashley Freeman, Lucinda Hules, Ashley Kohler, Debbie Lowe, Patrick Beavers, Clinton Nelson, Troy Galloway, Patty Action, Danielle Bell, Evelyn Hartley, Dow Phillips, Tyler Stice, Bill Underhill, Patricia Taylor, Aaron Barnard, Jeremy Burt, Brian Sullivan, Nikki Wells, Marina Bolter, Mandy Stokes, Greg Brooks, Rebecca Henderson, Dominic Holly Grisham, Tiffany Daniels, Nicholas Masucci, Donald Irwin, Billy DeSilvestro, Renee Yergain, Mikkel Biggs, Al Copper, J.R. Mullahan, Jamie Bowen, Travis Robertson, Rosemary Rapp, Kristen Modaferi, Zoe Campos, Sean Ginyard, Thomas Brown, Amanda Fravel, Julie Early, Ellen Sloan, Renee Lamana, Nico Lisi, Leah Peebles, Melissa Hasley, Kimberly Raymer, Stephen Kocher, Bonnie Joseph, Immaculate Basil, Bobby Campbell, Kimberly Norwood, Alyssa Turney, Bobby Tennyson, Dale Kerstetter, Lacey Buenfil, Peggy McGuire, Jansen Brewer, and Daniel Braden, Robert Wayne Cox, Lucas Degerness, Stephen Adams, Ashley Summers, 
Bonnie Dagus and Jeremy Dagus, Judith Emke, Jessica Hamby, Tim Beauchart, Devin Bond, Juanita Nelson, Desiree Ferris, Angie Yarnell, Deborah Asbury, Sean Kosky, Mary Lands, Devin Brown Busetta, Shanna Boydo, Travis Murrow, Keith Fetter, Layla Faulkner, Megan Lancaster, Kelly Sims, Jack Hemby, Barbara Frame, Dory Ann Myers, Austin Pivo, Christine Hamilton, Monica Appleton, Jonathan Estes, Molly Miller, and Colt Haynes, Donnie Martin III, Kamisha Hollis, Lisa Wallace, Tammy McKittrick, Julie Say, Stephanie Clemens, Andy Chapman, Trevor Nichols, Tiffany Joseph, Tyler North, David Kesey, Lucera Sarabia, Brandy Myers, J.L. Hamblin, Bradley Allen, Timothy Guy, Janelle Matthews, Ronald McNutt, Cameron Remmer, Tammy Arthur, and Chad Peters, Jesse Ross, Lisa Shuttleworth, Jackson Miller, Patrick Reed, Jeremy Goodwin, Mary Jane Van Gilder, Phyllis Corbin, Eric Alvarado, Cassandra Ramirez, April Andrews, David Hardy Jr., Dennis Lushbau, Christy Nichols, Chris Sanders, Danielle Sleeper, Julie Wefflin, Shelva Rafty, Rodney Kaiser, Chris Mittendorf, and Christina Branham, Gregory Howes, Brian Cook, Charles Thompson, Jessica Garino, Jacob Weeks, Jackie Bucky Letney, Joe Bain, Vanessa Oren, Jennifer Casper Ross, Robbie Hurt, Unique Harris, Doug Jones, Deborah Bowman, Bradley Brooks, Angela Green, Jody Husentrude, Brennan Smokey, Rouse Chapman, Marion Hurley, Gayla Shaper, Caleb Powell, Chelsea Cobo, Bonnie Santiago, TJ Murray, Noah Davis, Patty Dudek, Ben Archer, Jake Lachalet, Sky Burnley, Kayleen Oling, Stephanie Hartwell, Nyleen Marshall, Kaya Taylor, Pearl Pinson, Brenda Condon, Alwyn Albright, Sky Tossick, Sandy Knipe, Brian Schaefer, Teresa Woolard, 
Toby Anderson, David Schrader, Chance Engelbert, Julianne Jalay, Rachel Sierks, Sean Antill, Randy Duran, Rashawn Francis, Amanda Ward-Romine, Crystal Bailey, Brenda Sika, Laverta Sorrell, Nicholas Shin, Kevin Nguyen, Ashley Simpson, Leanne Hosberg, Alicia Markovich, Audrey Heron, Lonine Rogers, Beatrice Viela, Ali Lowitzer, Jamie Peterson, Belinda Blanyar, Jordan Carvalho, Christian Balky Thompson, Paul Sanders, Jennifer Perry, Andrea Knabel, Sebastian Kelly, Marianne Verdecchia, Marcella Krolsi, and Mary Regan, Sue Swadell, Mark Heimbaugh, Dub and Chance Wackerhagen, Kimberly Wilson Talley, Harry Milligan, Paul Egan, Steve Davis, Douglas Crawford, Rhonda Smith, Ryan Stuka, Daniel Villarreal, Mary Watkins, Bradley Straysner, Justin Gaines, Jacqueline Cooper, Holly White, Michaela Bally, Chase Lackey, Belinda Brewster, The Pickering Six, Jay Boyle, Michael Cummins, Danny Higgins, Chad Smith, Robbie Rumbolt, and Jamie Lafaber, Brenda Davidson, Milda McQuillan, Kyle Fleischman, Paris Hobson, Bernard Rusness and Peggy McKay, Jessica Stacks, Natasha and Susan Carter, Angela Freeman, Mark Allen, Mary Cox, Jamie Valdez, Jace Martin, Brandon Rashar, Keith Call, and Sandra Haley, Evelyn Piper, Leslie Allen and Children, Matthew Braswell, Brandon Roberts, Emily Richards, Bo Mann, Judith Devers Hyder, Barbara McRae, Judy Brown and Richard Riesenberg, Jason Landry, Athel Turner, Treveline Evans, Alan Glasgow, Barbara Cotton, Tony Schwark, Sean Dickerson, Patricia Otto, David Wagoner, Mara Murray, Brian Vargo, Bianca Carrasco, Paige Renkowski, Betty Tepfer, Joel Akridge, Brenda Lambert, Aliyah Boomer, Donnie Atkins, Linda Stoltfus, Erica Lloyd, Mary Lane Carter, Stephanie Hollingsworth, Corey Dale Moore, Alan White, Jason Landry, Aliyah Scheibel, Kirsten Brueggemann, Mark Pinella, Cynthia Baltraure, Louis Davila, 
Candy Gonzalez, Justin Siwek, Michael Vaughn, Wendy Guessing, Shannon Miller, Glenda Parton, and Dwayne Selby, Heidi Plank, Stephen Salazar, Lindsay Shobalock, Jordan Simeon, Marie Peter Toltz, Dylan Rounds, Dana Smithers, Gregory Peterson, Caitlin Rose Case, Lorenzo Holmes Jr., Elizabeth Capaldi, Christopher Miller, John Tipton, Maya Blanton, Bao Fan, Shauna Helford, Andrew France, K. Alana Turner. Please, if you have the time and passion, please contact these missing persons' families to help them in their quests to find their missing loved ones. And that's the program. Right now, while you are in your podcast platform, Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever, give Unfound a five-star review, a thumbs up, whatever that platform allows. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've just finished this episode of Unfound.